Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Well, you can be seated. Man, you know me, I love, I love the energy and excitement that comes in the presence of God. But there's some days that you just need the peace that passes all understanding. Would anyone be bold enough to just like identify that you needed that peace from God today? That, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm there too. That there's something that happens in his presence. It's peace that passes understanding. And if you think you have to under, understand everything to eventually find peace, you've got it twisted. Peace passes understanding. Like if you put them in a foot race, the peace of God will always outrun your understanding every time. So let it pass your understanding. Let it pass, let it pass. Because as it leads the way, it, it sets things right. And I love this moment that we're singing about that he is holy, that nothing compares. If we can keep him in the right place, I think we keep everything right within us. So welcome to City of Life today. We're so glad that you're here, so glad that you're tuning in. My name is Pastor Justin. I serve as one of the associate pastors today, and this is such a beautiful and important season in our church. I have to echo the announcements. Please make plans to join us this coming Sunday for our Christmas concert. Beautiful Christmas is going to be amazing. You all already know City of Life does not pull back for the holidays. You have an amazing, amazing Sunday planned for you. The full creativity of our team, singing, dancing, glorifying the name of Jesus, and it's a perfect day to invite some family and friends for a, a kickoff to the holiday season that they won't soon forget. So please make plans to join us next Sunday. But today I'm honored to kick off a brand new series here at City of Life called Journey to the Manger. And through these next weeks, we are progressing all the way toward the beauty of the Christmas story. And it's, a, it's an important time for us as believers to contemplate, but also to celebrate. Because maybe it's easy to forget, but like this day has a lot of spiritual importance for us. Christmas does. It's not just about the things we do and the, the routines that we observe and the, tradi the traditions, though they're all amazing. We want this series to speak to you on a spiritual level to remind you of what this season represents and what it really is all about. So I'm really excited to kick it off. And I have a simple verse for you out of Galatians chapter four. It's Galatians chapter four. And it is verse four, and it says this, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. I mean, I'm, I'm preaching one verse today, so you know it is substantial. Like there's a lot on this plate. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. The fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might be adopted to sonship. As we unpack this Christmas story today, I want to really lay the backstory because in the weeks to come, we're going to really zoom in on Jesus. But today I want to set the stage for the big picture because for us, hindsight usually changes our perspective of things. For example, Easter, one of our biggest celebrations. We celebrate the beauty of Easter, but that's in hindsight. If we understood Easter and the, the representation of Easter 
from a historical perspective or like the people who were waiting on Jesus or the people who watched Jesus die, it wasn't just a celebration. It was one of the most challenging moments in history. And Christmas is much the same way. If we look at Christmas in hindsight, it feels like it's got a nice bow on top of it, no pun intended. But Christmas is a challenging and conflict-ridden story. And so today, today I wanna start our series, Journey to the Manger, with a teaching entitled, A Crisis Called Christmas. A Crisis Called Christmas. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your peace in this room. I feel it. We receive it, and God, we repent for where we've gotten out of order. So God, I'm asking that as we get into your word today, you'd minister to us, speak to us. Let us be so honed in on what this season really represents, that it challenges us and changes us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, do we have any Christmas, like, super fans? Like, people who just, this is your, this is your season. Like, you, yeah, I see, all right, there's, there's ornaments already being, yeah, exactly. You've been decorated for a while. Uh, the Christmas season is really fun. It's a, it's a lot of fun, and it comes with a lot of anticipation. I am going to make a public confession here, and it's really hard for me to admit, but it's the truth. I have, I don't think I have ever successfully had a night of sleep on Christmas Eve ever in my life. I mean, I, this was as a child, obviously you're super hyped, but like even like when we didn't have a child, I would still like get all this energy. I was like, tomorrow's Christmas, tomorrow's Christmas. Just can't sleep on Christmas Eve ever for no explanation. And now that we do have a kid, I'm like, oh my gosh, he's gonna be excited about it. He's gonna be so excited about Christmas. Like just so much anticipation. And for me, it's rooted in a lot of fond memories. I had this tradition that was always so special to me when I was little on Christmas Eve, my grandma would always come over to our house and she would spend the night at our house and she would be the first person I would see on Christmas morning. And then we'd go and do the Christmas gifts. Really strange fact that my family still hasn't explained to me. One morning I woke up and Santa was in our living room and like standing by the presents and then walked out and I chased him, chased him to go see him. And then he was gone. He went down into like a side room and he was gone when I went in there. In hindsight, as an adult, I realized there's another door in there and I probably should have go, gone and checked. But I'm like an adult now. I'm like, mom, dad, tell me, was it my uncle? Like who... Who was it? And they're like, we don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, guys, guys, come on. You could tell me. And they're like, and I'm like, maybe I was dreaming, but they do remember me running out of the room. So they're like, you just ran out on Christmas morning and we don't know why. And I was like, guys, come on. Who was it? They're like, we promised there was no one there. So I might believe in Santa. I just, I, I can't explain it. I can't explain it. I'm waiting on Unsolved Mysteries to get back to me about that one. But there's just always, maybe that's why I can't sleep on Christmas Eve, because there's a part of me that's just like, hey, it's possible. <laughs> it's possible. But there's so much joy, so much excitement. I've always thought it was weird until I met my son. No one is as excited for Christmas as my child. This kid lives and breathes for the Christmas season. Like, it doesn't help that his primary love language is gifts. So this is like his time, right? And then also my beautiful wife, she has this incredible tradition where we observe Advent in our home. And so every day Malachi is reading a different Bible verse and has an activity or a gift pointing toward Christmas Day. So like all of December is Christmas for him, right? And so like we finished Thanksgiving, we put up the, the tree and it was November 30th. And he was like, it's Christmas. And I was like, it's not. 
And he was like, but it is. He said, it's December and that's Christmas. Like all this anticipation, all this joy, all this excitement. And then if you, maybe your child is like mine, right around now, like December 3rd, he's saying, is it Christmas yet? Is it Christmas yet? I'm like, no, we have so much shopping still to do. It's not here yet. No, we still have so much to do. But the anticipation, and then like by December 15th or 20th, it starts to get agonizing, right? Like the sadness comes out and the aching comes out. When is it Christmas? And then God forbid that there happens to be some presents under the tree. And they're like, when can I open those? When, like this longing, this yearning that happens. And that's for those of us who know the date of Christmas, Can you imagine if you didn't know when Christmas was coming? Can you imagine if there was a promise of a day that would change everything, a day of joy, a day of gladness, a day of celebration, a day where God would give his greatest gift, but I didn't tell you the date. I just said, it's coming, just wait. Because that's what Christmas was for all of history. We just happen to see it in hindsight. We know the date. We know the event that it points toward. But most of history had no idea who, what, or when they were waiting for. How long could you wait if I told you something great was coming, but there was no date in sight? People are laughing. They're like, 22 minutes. (laughs) How long could you wait? A year? You think, okay, certainly it's going to happen on one of these calendar days, and it doesn't. Two years, three years, hundreds of years, thousands of years. Because the promise of Christ coming to earth was uttered from the very beginning in creation. In the middle of what seems like one of the darkest moments where Adam and Eve sin, and then they're cursed, In the middle of a curse, God is breathing blessing. And you really need to think about this because it seems like he's saying like, the ground is cursed and Adam, you're gonna sweat and toil and Eve, you're gonna have pain in childbirth. And he says, serpent, you are gonna be crushed by the offspring of the woman because one is gonna come from her that's gonna conquer you. And here's the thing about God, even when it sounds like he's speaking curses, he's breathing blessing. Let's flip the coin. When the enemy sounds like he's breathing blessing over your life, he's speaking curses. He's saying this fruit is so good for you. It'll help you know things. But inside of that blessing, the fine print is that you're stepping into curse. And so God, in the very beginning, talks about this day. Can you imagine being Eve? Having just made a choice that maybe corrupted the perfect garden you were walking in and hearing God say, but something is gonna come from Eve an offspring that will crush the serpent's head. Ladies, how long could you have waited as Eve? Like, is it today? Is it tomorrow? Is it the next day? And she ends up bearing children. One of those kills the other. Have you ever thought about, like, the mother heartache? Not just of losing one child, but also wondering, well, was one of these supposed to be what I'm waiting for? Clearly not. She bears more children and nothing, and nothing, and nothing. And Adam is sweating and toiling. And there's this looming promise that one will come, a Messiah who will conquer the enemy. And they're waiting because they very much know who the enemy is. It's that tempter, that serpent who came to take them off of the path that God had set for them. 
and they're waiting and waiting and they don't see it with their eyes. And then they tell the story of their ch- to their children because they'd have to, because their whole life is with bated breath. They say to their children and children's children, we don't know what it means, but God told us that someone is going to come and he's going to conquer the enemy. That's what's going to happen. And so then the grandchildren pass on the story and it turns into kind of like a, a, a game of telephone where one generation tells the other, we don't know what it means, but God told us someone is coming. We don't know what date it is, but you better look for him. You better wait for him. And, the, and then we see over time, over history, the people of God are living with this bated breath of a Messiah who's coming, one who is coming, who will trample on the enemy, who will crush the enemy. And time passes and centuries pass. And the message gets diluted. As time goes on, this idea of one who will crush the serpent becomes one who will crush the enemy, maybe one who will crush Babylon, Assyria. And eventually we get here to this New Testament period. And the message has become, maybe someone will come who will fight Rome for us. They've forgotten who the real enemy is because they've been waiting so long. They've forgotten the serpent and they only see the soldier. And so this crisis called Christmas is not just that the situation was difficult, but that the people of God started looking in the wrong direction. They're looking for a military king, someone who's gonna come fight Rome. And they have forgotten the crisis that they're actually in. So often we get distracted by our circumstantial pain that we overlook our spiritual condition. You're in circumstantial pain because of a financial situation. But your spiritual condition might be selfishness, that you've refused to be generous. And so you're saying, God provide, God provide, God provide, but spiritually God is saying, give, give, give. He's trying to liberate you from a spiritual place and you're trying to ask him to liberate you from a circumstantial pain. This is the crisis called Christmas is that all of, all of Israel was looking for a military king. Meanwhile, God is fulfilling his promise in a manger, in a baby. I love how one of our lyrics, Pastor Jeff wrote this lyric, the king that nobody wanted was the one everyone needed. And so this anticipation caused them to shift their focus from looking in the right places to looking in the wrong places. And whenever you're looking in the wrong places for God to move, you're going to be disappointed. And so they get perpetually disappointed, perpetually frustrated. And this crisis is where Jesus ends up entering the story. Rome is abusing Israel. The the Jews were being mistreated. And this is a historical pattern through the Old Testament. We see it with uh, Moses and Egypt. We see it all through the Old Testament with Babylon and all the different enemies. And then we're just here at another enemy. I don't know if maybe you can identify with like the Jews in their historical like story there, but it's just like pattern after pattern, toxic relationship after toxic relationship, terrible situation after terrible situation. And this crisis that we call Christmas is that they were at their wits end looking for a way out. And this is where Jesus enters the story. And he enters the story, not like a military king coming to fight Rome. He doesn't even like burst onto the scene in a, in a huge way. 
the announcement of the Christ child comes behind closed doors to a young girl in a dream. If I were running the PR campaign, it would be a little different. <laughs> like, enter in a big way. You got to make a big statement, Jesus. And he comes in a dream to a girl no one would believe. Culturally, no one would believe a young girl. And she has a dream that you're going to be with child and a virgin will give birth. That's a pretty big statement. <laughs> you like wake up from that dream and you're like, how? How does that happen? But even here we see promises fulfilled. Throughout scripture, Isaiah talks about one born of a virgin, but it harkens all the way back to this promise in Genesis. Galatians says it, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son born of a woman. And there's a connection here. Back to the curse. When God cursed the serpent, he said, because you tempted and attacked Eve, my child, my daughter, the one whom I love, I am going to bring one from her and her alone that is going to trample on you. See, we've never talked about the virgin birth in that way, the connection from Eve to Mary, because all of sin entered the world when Eve took that bite and then Adam took that bite. And this is like the ultimate scriptural female empowerment message, because we want to talk about all of that in culture. But in scripture, God is saying, I'm going to vindicate the woman by bringing something from her and her alone. Her and her alone. She don't need no man. I'm going to vindicate her because you attacked her. I'm going to vindicate her. See, that's the point. Is I'm going to vindicate because, because the attack was there on the woman. I'm going to vindicate the woman by bringing from her and her alone a child who will stomp on your head. See, if it weren't for the virgin birth, all of history would be able to curse Eve. And say, why did Eve do it? Eve is dumb. Eve is stupid. No, but God vindicated her by making her the vessel of promise. That from her, from a woman, would come the Savior. See, God can vindicate or redeem even your darkest mistakes, your worst moments. It's not going to disqualify you because God's blessing vindicates you way more than the enemy disqualifies you. So God stands for women in a way more serious way than culture wants to pretend to. He says, I'm going to vindicate woman. And it's not like I'm going to come in and fight it for her. It's like I'm going to prepare woman to fight you herself because she's strong enough. She's able. She didn't get it right the first time, but she's going to get it right the second time. And where Eve stood at the tree and decided to do it her own way, Mary stands in the dream and says, God, be it unto me according to thy word. Let it be unto me according to thy word. She says, I submit to your will. Where Eve stepped out of his will, Mary stepped into his will, and it is that one choice alone that can change the story of mankind. It can also change your story as well. The moment you step out of the will, you are veering your story to the left, but the door is always open for you to say, let it be in my life as you say it is. The moment you say yes to the will of God, the story changes. The moment you say yes to the will of God, the story changes. But he appears in a dream, like that's not the way I would do it. But he does it anyway, and it costs her greatly. And I know everyone's like stirred and clapping and saying amen, but I don't want you to think that coming over to Mary's posture is easy. It costs you so much. 
She's betrothed. She's engaged. It's one of the most exciting times in a life, especially in this culture. I, I get, like, we don't live in that culture anymore, but, like, we have to talk about it, and I'm sorry to say it, but, like, betrothal, like, added value to a woman. Like, it, I, and I know it's not that way today, but I just need to, like, preach it for a second. Like, she was engaged, and her family was now finally arranging things for her, and she was going to gain status and, 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 and influence and respect, finally. People would listen to her. She would be able to be established in culture. But the minute she say yes, says yes to God, all of that gets jeopardized. Because saying yes to God usually pulls you out of the cultural expectations. Saying yes to God means you're not playing by the, the rules of the world anymore, which means you will get rejected. And I am no cultural expert, but I just like to imagine that Jewish culture is very similar to Hispanic culture. <laughs> And as Mary, this young, unmarried girl, starts to walk around town and she's showing a little more and she's visibly pregnant, can you imagine the bonchiche? Like, can you, can you see there? Can you imagine? I can see it. I can hear it. And all of the rejection that she experiences, all of the side eyes that she gets. Could you wait if you didn't know the date? Could you wait? if you didn't know what it would cost you. And Mary, carrying in her womb, knows there's a promise, but is enduring rejection and pressure by culture. She has to look Joseph in the eye and say, I know you're not going to believe this, but here's what God told me. Can you imagine the vulnerability? Like, it would be appropriate for her to have been stoned. Fear of death. Was, would have been knocking at her door. But God also spoke in a dream to Joseph and said, hey, I'm choosing you. I'm choosing you to use you in a mighty way, which means that people are not gonna like what happens in your life. <laughs> the Bible actually says he planned to quietly divorce her. Quietly divorce her. Which means that by quietly divorcing, he, he's not taking a public stance of like, Mary's been unfaithful. He just chooses to quietly divorce her, which means he opens himself up to all the same speculations of the town. Everyone's questioning what happened with Mary and Joseph. What, was, it, was it him? Was it her? What, what happened? And all that speculation, but he's just, again, being obedient to the will of God. So we have this backstory of an enemy in Satan who attacked the children of God. And from that sinful choice, sin entered the world. That's the ultimate backdrop. But then we have the short-term story of Rome oppressing Israel. And then we zoom all the way into a young guy and a young girl who are going to get their life absolutely rocked <laughs> by this miracle. This is the crisis called Christmas. And now when Galatians 4 says this, when the time set had fully come, the King James says, the fullness of time, like the fullest moment. And this is ultimately at its core a message about God's timing. Because everything I just described to you, I took a long time to describe that to you, that paints the picture of God's timing. If it was our timing, 
it would have been centuries prior. Like right there in the garden, let's skip the difficulty, let's skip the waiting, let's just make this happen, God. A microwave over a slow cooker. It's like, I want the answers now, I want the payoff now. But God's timing is about fullness. And sometimes we think that the fullness of time is everything being good, but what if the fullness of time is everything getting as difficult as possible so God could be most glorified? What if his timing is about him and not about you? Isn't he allowed? to have his timing. So often we're like, my timetable, my timetable. And I've said this before, and I'll say it today. God doesn't operate on your calendar. He operates on your character. And his timeline is about things reaching their fullness. And so in the fullness of time, everything I just described, God sent his son. This is the miracle of Christmas, that he was true to his word. Back in the garden, he says, one will come from the woman who will stomp on the enemy's head. He fulfilled his promise. He fulfilled his promise. He was true to his word, and nobody recognized it. It was overlooked, missed, questioned, rejected, attacked. And over the next two weeks, or over the next three weeks, we'll unpack all of the different ways that the Christmas story takes these angles. But right here in the moment, God fulfilled his promise in sending his son. But it's not what anyone expected because the Jews felt a very real pain. And I don't want to minimize this. Like they were abused culturally. They were abused. They could be made to carry heavy armor against their will. They were taxed relentlessly. They could be physically abused in the street and the law would protect the abuser, not the abused. Like they were treated terribly. And they're waiting for a Messiah to come because they're in so much pain. And then they start to hear whispers and angels and prophets starting to speak of, he's here, he's here, he's here. Can you imagine waiting for Christmas, not knowing what date it was, and starting to see Instagram posts and Facebook statuses and, and posts on social media of like, it's here, it's here, it's here. You'd be like, what, what, what is it? Where is it? This is what we've been waiting for. What is it? What do you mean it's here? Looking for it anticipating it. Where is this military leader who's going to defeat my enemies? And then you hear someone say, oh, it's a baby. (laughs) That's not what I was waiting for. Because for those who are in that circumstance, they have over time shifted their focus and the Messiah has been reduced to a painkiller. Jesus, I want you to come be my painkiller. Eliminate the pain. Stop the things that are hurting me. Stop the people that are hurting me. Today, I want to preach to you that Christ is not a painkiller. He's a life giver. Christ is not a painkiller. He's a life giver. And life-giving is usually in the opposite direction of pain-killing. Numbing pain versus healing the pain are usually very different processes. Anyone ever been in physical therapy? It's like, I would rather have Motrin. (laughs) I'd rather be numb than to put all my weight on the very thing that's injured. It hurts, it hurts, it hurts. 
Life-giving is usually in the opposite direction of pain-killing. All the moms in the room, life-giving is very different than pain-killing. And so often, we mistake Christ as a pain-killer. So, now I want to preach right to you in your life, this crisis called Christmas. Where have you overlooked the work of God in your life? Where are you trying to get him to be your pain-killer? God, fix my marriage. What if he wants to do something in you? God, fix my finances. What if he's trying to do something in you? What if he's trying to give life to you? He's not a pain killer. He's not a get out of jail free card. Look at his track record. Look at his track record and how he moves in the lives of his people. He's not a pain killer. To Moses, he gave a desert. To Jonah, he gave a whale. To David, he gave a giant. None of these things were easier. None of these things were more comfortable. In fact, the moment that God intervenes in the story, it usually got more difficult. But it's because he wasn't concerned with the comfort of his people. He was concerned with the preservation of his people. That I am preserving you for my purposes. I'm giving you life. And if someone is dying on the ground and you're resuscitating them, CPR, you're not wondering, does this hurt? That's not your concern. I'll crack three ribs if I need to, but if you can live through this, if you can live and not die, it's worth all the effort. Christ is not your painkiller. He is a life giver. And so if you're looking for him in comfort, you're maybe overlooking him because he's the Lord of suffering. He says, I'll show you how to embrace suffering, not run from it. And you're looking for Jesus in the most comfortable of places, but what if he happens to be in a manger? What if he happens to be on a cross? What if he happens to be in your stress and in your difficulty and in the trouble and in the storm? Every time we find Jesus, he's in the difficulty, not away from it. And we're like, Messiah, take me out. Messiah, take me out. Messiah, take me out. And he's like, believer, let me in. I've put you in the difficulty so you can bring me into it as well. I put Mary and Joseph in a stable so that I could, be, I could enter the story in that most uncomfortable of places. Christ is not your painkiller. Pain killer. He's your life giver. And surrendering to his purposes and to his plan, it is an act of faith. So what would happen if we all surrendered that way, the same way that Mary did. Let it be exactly as you say it is. What would happen if we all took this posture? Well, to do this, <laughs> to really surrender to God, I wanna caution you. Be careful when you ask God to move, because chances are he will move you. So often, we want God to move around us. Do this. Hey, please help me with this. But when Mary surrendered that way, when Joseph surrendered that way, when Jesus surrenders his way, every character in scripture that fully reaches their moment of surrender, God's moving them. This crisis called Christmas is that you're not going to just watch things happen around you. You're going to be an instrumental vessel in the change an instrumental vessel in the change in your family, an instrumental vessel in the change of your city, an instrumental change 
in the generational trauma of your lineage. And you're like, God, change my family. God, change my family. And he's like, all right, waiting on you. We get to be the vessel. We need a Messiah, but he's not a painkiller. He is a life giver. And in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. He entered our situation so that those of us who were under the law might receive adoption, that we could belong to him, that we could be restored to our connection. Jesus took a deep dive into our humanity so that we could buoy up to his divinity. He dove down to link arms with us, to bring us to a place we could never get ourselves. But oh, it's a humbling journey. Oh, it's a humbling journey. Because that imagery of a lifeguard diving down, you, you ask a lifeguard how gentle they are <laughs> with people. No, not, not at all. I'm not going to be gentle if it means saving you. I might have to pull you some ways and I might have to grab you in a way that is different than like you is your preferred way. But it's like, I have to save you. And this is what it means to be surrendered to a Lord who's going to do his work in us. And this crisis called Christmas is fulfilled in a savior that makes every promise of God true in the timeline, but disappoints every current expectation of his people. I just want a military king. I know you told our ancestors about one who would conquer sin. I know you, I just, but here's what I want today, God. And we need to have a very hard line between our desires and the promises of God in our life. Because so often we think we want, because we want something hard enough, it's a promise. But you need to go back to the promises of God. It's okay to want things. Earnestly desire things. Bring them to the Lord. Yes, of course. But don't conflate that with the things he's promised you. Because his promises are yes and amen. His promises are true. His promises will never fail. And Jesus is the fulfillment of all his promises. It, the Jews got distracted by Rome, but God was always focused on sin. And Jesus came to liberate the people from sin, not necessarily from Rome. Jesus has come into your life to liberate you from sin, not necessarily to bring comfort to every single circumstance in your life, but rather to empower you and invigorate you with the anointing of God, with the authority of God, with the strength of God, to be able to do whatever is in front of you with that, the backing of heaven on your side. He didn't come to get you out of everything. He came to fulfill the promises in your life so that you can do anything, whatever the path is. Someone give God praise for that. So today, as we kick off this series, Journey to the Manger, and we contemplate this crisis called Christmas, I want us to have a beautiful and deep appreciation of the, the moment in history where Jesus was born, the time in which he was born, the circumstance in which he was born, and the cost by which he was born. But then I want us to also be able to look at our own story and maybe start to acknowledge where we've missed it. The Christ is not my painkiller. He's my life giver. And that I can more fully surrender to him. I can more completely surrender to him. So what does that surrender look like for you? I want to pray for you in just a moment, but I want you to truly have a sense 
of what that surrender looks like from you. What is the biggest pain right now that you have been trying to get the painkiller for? And maybe instead it's time to shift the prayers to saying, Jesus, be my life giver. Jesus, be my life giver. Because if he can give you life, he can change everything. The moment that baby steps onto the scene, everything changed. Not circumstantially, spiritually. Not circumstantially, spiritually. Rome didn't just fall apart the minute Jesus was born. In fact, Rome were the ones who put Jesus on the cross. Nothing changed in the circumstance, but everything changed in the spirit. And that's what matters most. His promises are true, friends. And so this posture here, this surrender, it's surrendering to the fact that he gives life in the way that is best, even though it's not the way that I would choose. And I want to invite you into that surrender. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to pray with you. He is a life giver. He is a redeemer. He is a king. And ultimately, he is Savior. He saves us from sin and from death. And if you've never accepted him as Lord and Savior of your life, I want to pray with you. So if that's you and you're in this room, would you just slip your hand up so I know who I'm praying for? Yeah, thank you so much. Wow, this is beautiful. Thank you. And if you're watching online, at this moment, you can type, I need Jesus in the chat to let us know that you are inviting Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life. My goodness. Can everyone in the room repeat this prayer with me? Say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Be Lord of my life. Not my painkiller, my life giver. Let it be in me exactly as you say. From now on, it's Jesus first and Jesus always. In your name I pray. Amen. Oh, can we celebrate with those who have prayed this prayer? This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.